Okay, today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, just like our podcast network, Locked On, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Buddy, what are we talking about today? Oh, man. You and I dive into the Mike Prada article that basically outlines how Kevin Durant is going to be fine. There's some more details to get into there, but it looks like that recovery from the injury on the Achilles on the right ankle, it may be all mitigated by the fact that, as you may know, Kevin Durant's just kind of a freak athlete, right? Yeah, he's like a, a human basketball cheat code, and we're going to get into all the things that we can kind of look for going into this season when it comes to KD. Let's get going. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to Locked On Nets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your official source for everything you need to know about the Brooklyn Nets. I'm Doug Norrie, and over there is Adam Armbrecht. Howdy, friends. Friends, indeed, we're here Monday morning recording. Um, want to say thanks to everyone that listened to the podcast last week. Uh, especially, I can't. It's a uh, it's it's an indictment here because our Karis Levert Drew Holiday uh, possible trade uh, podcast that we did on Friday, and which we had all always promised that we wouldn't do just because the fake trade thing and it just goes crazy. Yeah, it ends up go, goes out and is the, our best listened to podcast of the week. So now now I'm at a real crossroads <laughs> about what to do going forward because. The the fake trade stuff we've talked about is one of those things where it's simultaneously really exciting and content that it's really hard for me to engage in. And then, but if everyone else really wants to engage in it, maybe it's just going to be fake trade central here from here from here on out. I don't really know what else to do. I'm having difficulty reconciling the amazing numbers that we saw on that podcast and the idea that I just had for had long since promised that we wouldn't do this. Well, needless to say, stay tuned later in the week when we'll be breaking down LeBron James to Brooklyn trade talks. We're also going to go over some Curry opportunities to pull into the fold. And obviously Giannis bringing in him into Brooklyn and, and joining him with our powerhouses. We've got, we've got, we're, it's full sellout mode now, boys. I have to bring on Billy Reinhardt. He's like the Nets trade guru. That guy whips up magic on the trade machine like you've never seen before. I might just have to have him on the podcast. Uh, yeah, like I said, the numbers were great. Uh, if you're if you're if you're with us here um, for the first time or or for a long time, much appreciated. If you rate and review the podcast and subscribe to whoever you listen to the podcast, that really helps. We saw, like I said, we saw those numbers kind of climb up over the course of the week last week. I want to keep the momentum going. Rating and reviewing the podcast is one of the absolute best ways you can do that. So go check it out uh, or go uh, go throw those reviews in five stars or bust. Like we always say, got some new reviews at the end of the week last week. Always, uh, always, you know, a little feather in the cap, wind in the sails kind of thing for, for Adam and I. Uh, I want to, we're going to talk today about Kevin Durant and a really great piece that Mike Prada, who used to be with Bleacher Report and now I think is just independent and he has a, a newsletter, a Substack newsletter that is excellent. And he wrote a really long, detailed piece about Kevin Durant and sort of what to expect from him coming back from the Achilles injury this year. I'll put the links to the article in the show notes. Uh, it's just, and, and, it's, and if you're an NBA fan just in general, it's really worth it to subscribe to Mike's, uh, Mike's newsletter because it's just really great stuff. And it's one of those things, too, where if you find, if you kind of hang around basketball long enough and, and read basketball long enough, you're, you, you come to find that there's people just doing great content that just doesn't appear on the ESPNs or the Bleacher Reports, right? Like people are, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's shocking, but right. But 
There's so much good stuff out there, and so many people have just kind of taken their talents to their own personal feeds and mm-hmm. are working it that way. And if you can just curate it enough, you can find this stuff. So I'll put the show notes, uh, or excuse me, I'll put it. I'll put the link to the to Mike's article in the show notes. But we're going to talk about a bunch of the pieces here. I did want to talk about injuries though, in general, before we get started. I think you're kind of like me, but not really. This comes on the heels. We'd already planned on doing the Durant thing in like last week and then yesterday if you're and I'm sure we have some Giants crossover stuff here but the Kyle Allen injury is another one of these he you know he gets sacked and and kind of breaks the leg and it's one of those ones where the announcer says hey if you're squeamish look away how do you react to these things I know I want to talk about a couple of these examples here before we get started but how do you react to these injuries because I know I'll give my I'll give a detailed (laughs) description of how I do yeah, as a as a Giants guy, so I was watching that game, and thankfully enough, I didn't I didn't actually visually see it. But he goes down, ends up being a dislocated ankle plus a small fracture for for Kyle Allen, which is just so. My reaction, I know that you have a much more full body response to these things. I'm okay seeing it. I I don't mind seeing the injury. It doesn't mean that I want to see the injuries, as in the players getting hurt. But I can visually stand seeing the injuries that are getting suffered. The 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 switch for me over the last say whatever five years or so was completely getting and maybe more than that, was completely getting away from the idea of, as a lot of fans maybe still have, oh, great, he's out. You know, like, good for us. We now have a better chance of winning this game. Sure. That mentality is completely drained from from my psyche. And now all I ever think about it, I say it every time, and I've gotten into debates, especially around football, where it's like, you know, the rivalries of the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Washington football team. I very much have pushed back on the idea of, no, no. I don't want to see Dak Prescott get hurt. I don't want to see this guy be out for a year and a half and possibly threaten his career and his livelihood and all those things. So seeing people's health and well-being is where my mind goes first. But then I know I've even not – actually, I didn't even tell you. I didn't describe – to you how I hurt myself doing household chores uh, because I did, I knew that you would be too squeamish to handle the mental impact, let alone a visual. Well, I, I didn't realize you were going to go that way. I, we, I don't know. Were we on locked on when that happened? No, I think we were still on We Got Nets when, we got, when that happened. But you were going to tell me, and I was like, no, don't tell me. And then my wife, because Adam <laughs> and I, for those that don't know the Locked On podcast, my, at the, one of the, re- the reason Adam and I know each other is because our, um, our significant others are sisters. So um, my wife is, and Adam's uh, girlfriend are sisters. So that's how Adam and I know each other. And uh, my wife had said, oh, did Adam tell you about, the, about his injury? And I was like, no, don't, don't tell me either. I was like, don't want to know. Don't tell me. I don't think, I think he didn't tell me for a reason. And she started describing it. I said, don't tell me. <laughs> I said, I don't. <laughs> Something may be going on in that relationship because I specifically talked to Sabrina when I had seen her and then said, and I didn't bother even going into it with Doug because I wanted to spare him. But she took that information and ran home. And I was think like, she was hey, just, anyway, this is going on. This is not where we intended to go here in the podcast. Sorry, yeah. I think I've, 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 I've injury wise, I don't know if I just watch all the sports and I've seen all these because I think back on the specific examples. Obviously, Karis LeVert in Netsland when Karis yeah. LeVert uh, dislocates his ankle and I nearly passed out on the couch. And that's before I was really hardcore Nets fan, fanning it. Uh, maybe I was at that point. But uh, the he he does that and I got I got the Gordon Hayward one. I was I remember where I was. It was in, in, in New Orleans at the time and I almost passed out again. Uh, and then the Dak one the other from the other day, I had just left your house and you texted me and he said, "Oh, Dak." And I was like, "Okay, I got to make sure I avoid this." These injuries for me, I have visceral reactions to them. I you know, the KD one is a little different when he got hurt in the finals because that was him kind of just grabbing the ankle and you know 
that there's really something wrong. And at that point, you kind of just know it, it's an Achilles thing. Uh, but these in, the injuries, I have such a difficult. I don't know what it is. I was never meant to be a doctor for sure, but I just have such a difficult time <laughs> when when, uh, <laughs> when, I, when I have such a difficult time reacting to these things. Uh, but but then I become oddly fascinated with them, especially around the recovery process, because I just want people to get better and be good again. So that's where right. this fascination to kind of bring it all back here. This fascination with where we are with the KD injury coming into the season is you know what we're going to highlight going forward for the rest of this episode and why Mike Prada why Mike Prada is is bullish while being cautiously optimistic about what we can expect from Kevin Durant this season and why um and you know what what are the things that we should kind of as Nets fans look out for and what we should see from him this season. And these aren't just, look, if, you're, if you've been online, you've seen KD working out in the gym uh, over the last six months and how he's looking good. But there are, I think, some very specific things that we can look for, as pointed out from this article, that we can look for as KD comes back to the court. Okay, so when we last saw Durant, he's playing for Golden State, obviously, uh, which is, from an offensive standpoint, a completely ideal situation, right? When you're sharing the court with, I mean, just from at least from an optimization of your shots, when you're sharing the court with uh, Steph and uh, Clay, and then you have a facilitator like Draymond at the top of the key that really is just kind of an expert and sort of just like genius when it comes to being able to you know, find back cuts and, and just be able to pass out of the post. That really isn't an, uh, an ideal situation for Durant. You know, his numbers from 2018-2019 were basically typical Kevin Durant, 26 points a game, about 52 and change percent from the field. One little area that I thought was it was interesting was that his three-point percentage shooting did tail off in 2018-19. He had been right around 38 and a half percent for his career, but that went down to 35 percent in in that season. So I don't know if that's just a blip on the radar, but it was easily his worst three point shooting of his career. So take that for what it's worth. It could just be nothing, but I was like, huh, okay, that's interesting. So anyway, that's what a, a possible product of of being there with Curry and Clay Thompson, and just you know the quality of those three point looks that you're taking versus dishing off to open guys that you have such you know val- valuable and quality shooters at the perimeter. Yeah, so I ju- I mean I just expect I mean it was 42% the year before with the same team. So I you know in 38 yeah. the year, 38 before that. So it's not I, this is those were pretty static situations year over year. Uh, that so I don't know. Anyway, it's 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 likely nothing and I did kind of raise an eyebrow to it. So that's what we saw with KD when we last saw him. So we we know this, we have this maybe sort of baseline for what we can expect from him uh from a numbers perspective. But then you have the Achilles tear. And the history of the Achilles is not a great one when it comes to the NBA. There, the list is long-ish of players who have had it, have had Achilles tears and had uh, Achilles repairs over their careers. And the list of guys who came back the same or better is basically nobody. Um, so, mm-hmm. so some of the guys, I'm not going to read the whole list of guys who have suffered Achilles tears, but the, the more notable ones recently. Demarcus Cousins, we know what's happened with him. It's been he has not been able to stay healthy at all. That's a totally different body type, so and different style. So I'm not going to compare him to KD, but he did have the Achilles. Rudy Gay had an Achilles tear, has come back and been serviceable, if well above average, but was not the player that he once was. Wes Matthews tore it uh, in his free agent season when he was leaving Portland, which was totally brutal. Went to Dallas, never really was the same after that. Still serviceable NBA player, but not nearly anything close to what he had been when he was 
you know, trending toward a huge contract coming out of Portland. And then other guys like Brandon Jennings, maybe the most notable one is Kobe, but Kobe suffered his sort of late in his career. He was never the same, but it's also, he was on the, the downside of the cliff when it came to his prime anyway. So it's a little hard to tell how much the Achilles ended up, ended up affecting him. But so anyway, that's where we start. Um, that, that's the sort of the baseline of we know what K- Katie's numbers have been and we know where the Achilles has been before. Now, what did you take away from Mike's article? Because it's, it's, it's long, it's pretty dense, and it can get fairly technical at times. But is there anything just to start that stood out to you that maybe provides some optimism or at least a baseline expectation about what to expect from Durant here? Yeah, so one of the ones actually that they reference in the article in terms of comparables and players that have gone through a similar injury is Brianna Stewart in the WNBA from the Seattle Storm because she suffered the same she suffered a rupture of her right Achilles tendon less than a year prior to Katie having his injury. So when you go into her numbers and and this kind of speaks to a lot of what, what you see around this injury and players coming back from it, but her overall shooting accuracy fell from about 53 to 45%, so nearly a 15% drop off there. Effective field goal percentage similar kind of range and drop true shooting went down by about 10 percent and then there's a couple of the ones like her three-point shooting that went from so this speaks to what you're talking about he had a maybe a natural drop off there or a blip drop off in that last season with golden state 41 and a half to 37 percent and then the two-point shooting also dropped from 57 58 down to 49 so you know it's this 10 to 15 percent closer to 15 percent drop off in terms of the quality of production that you're going to see and, and you know it is in a lot of ways Brianna Stewart is considered to be one of the elite players of the WNBA so it is kind of a, a nice comp relative to KD and what his status and stature is in the league and I think because it's mostly positive, like you said, it is a mostly positive article with a a, a dip of caution to it. 15%, you know, 85 to 90% Kevin Durant is still going to be, because of his height and his size and his length, is still going to be a dangerous weapon, is still going to be an incredibly difficult defensive matchup, and is still going to be able to spread and space the floor and create for himself and also create for those around him. So, you know, that... That reference makes me feel you know, bullish, as we like to say sometimes, is not as too strong of a word. But I do have fairly strong confidence that the player you're going to get back on the court, while it may not look exactly the same as it did prior to the injury, is still going to be a player that is one of the top seven or eight most dangerous offensive weapons in the NBA. So when he leaves, when he goes down in the finals two years ago, he is on the short list of is he the best player in basketball, right? It's, it's, it's right. easy to forget this because we're a year removed and we've had guys like Luka come around and Giannis another year, and then we have LeBron reaching his, weirdly seeming like he's reaching his peak even though he's old. And so, and then, you know, maybe a little dip in Kawhi this season. And, it you know, Durant is no longer part of the conversation because he doesn't play for the mm-hmm. whole season, And but it's but you only have to walk back one year and it's like, well, it's, is Durant just the best player? Like that, this was just the conversation. So a 15% drop off, in terms of where he was then would take him out of best player in basketball conversation, maybe, right? Um, I think we probably need to set our expectation at least there to start that it's likely unrealistic for him to come back and stand right on the mountaintop again with LeBron and like that. And those guys that I just mentioned that I'm not going to roll through, right? You know, this con the constant list list management of who the best players in, in basketball are. <laughs> that being said, 
the 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 really encouraging part of this piece there was a lot there's a couple of really encouraging parts the first is that Kevin Durant is incre- has been and is incredibly effective from nearly everywhere on the court so if you look at his shot charts for especially that last season and I believe it's for the if you can just go back and look at all the every season his shot charts are going to look a lot different than a lot of other NBA players especially in this you know, you know, in the James Harden, we're only going to take threes and, you know, we're going to take threes and, and shots of the basket and that's all we're going to do. And if you, by the way, look no further than your Brooklyn Nets from last year about what kind of shots the Nets wanted to take, which was we're going to take threes or at the rim and do not take anything else under no circumstances are you to take. I mean, this except when Ky, some games where Kyrie played, but every time, every other game was the shot chart looked basically like nothing ever happened from the restricted area, <laughs> the restricted area out to the three point line. That's a little bit of an overstatement, but that's mostly what we were looking at was Cl- classic, classic, the, uh, the floor is lava scenario for a lot of the Nets players. Ooh, don't go in, don't go in there only on the perimeter or exclusively under the basket. And the only time it really started to change was in the bubble when Karras had to kind of reinvent what the Nets were doing at offense simply because they had nothing else. And we started, we finally saw a little bit of mid range stuff and seal offs, uh, when he came, uh, over the top side pick and roll and when he was able to seal off the defender and he would get like a little kind of floater jump shots. Other than that, like this is the Nets team was a pretty, you know, they were specialists in this. But if you look at KD's shot chart, you're going to see he's just an absolute assassin from basically wherever he stands. The reason that's good is because for him coming back from this injury, maybe in a way that that list of guys that I mentioned before doesn't include is that Durant's game was already so special and unique comparatively to the rest of the NBA that he's working with an arsenal well beyond just about what anybody else in the NBA can do. And you look, like I said, look no further than just your eyes. Your eye test is going to do it for you just if you watch him play. So no worries there. But the just look at the shot chart and you'll say, oh, he could just like it's a game of horse where he just picks his spot and just makes it right. (laughs) And and when you can do that. You can suffer this, you know, ten to fifteen percent drop off in efficiency because you're still doing something that almost no other player in the NBA can do. Well, so essentially, it's also because so you're talking about right fifteen percent drop off, but the the varying ability of your game is expands your arsenal by 30 to 35% over what most, even some of the best NBA players are capable of doing, right? So that that's also how I think you're mitigating what the drop-off is going to be, is name how many players have the ability to have the shot selection that Kevin Durant naturally has based on his skill set and his size. That's few and far between. So even though you're going to see a diminishment in some area, he still has the ability to create in a lot of different ways. And you mentioned about the two-point shot selection and how it could possibly impact this team and Kyrie and his sample size just 20 games last year. And that's something that I want to take a deeper look at as far as how it can form what this Brooklyn Nets roster looks to do around Kyrie and then obviously around KD coming back from this injury. Here's the thing that I think I, I got excited about and maybe also Nets fans can be excited about as well because you're mentioning around what the shot selection was for the Brooklyn Nets overall. Inside of this article as well, when they lay out, and even when you just go inside the numbers naturally, over the course of Kevin Durant's career, he has leaned into and gotten stronger and stronger in the short and long mid-range game. So everything inside the paint, inside the arc. He's gotten better and better inside of utilizing that. 
So that also allows to mitigate, first of all, the injury a little bit. And when you go back and watch some of these highlights, there's some great, when you mentioned variation in his game and how he can approach getting his looks, he also utilizes a baseline fadeaway off of his left leg. So a great way to be able to mitigate having an injury on your right leg is being super freakishly athletic and talented enough to lean on your left leg a little bit more. So the shot selection also provides him the ability to go into a different area of his game, maybe lean a little bit more into it. And then just maybe on the on the overall impact, when we think about in that 20-game sample size from Kyrie Irving and something that I think we both had our eyes opened up to just having him in front of us like that as opposed to playing on another team is he also loves to get in on the mid-range game. He's very comfortable, especially when pushing the pace in transition, working down into the paint, off the elbow, getting those easy, almost free buckets when you're as talented as a KD or a Kyrie are. Like Those are very high percentage shots they're able to take. And the benefit on the backside of that is when you talk about guys that want to either be rim runners like a Jared Allen or a DeAndre Jordan, or if you're out in the corner and a guy that we're curious about in Torreon Prince or, as we know, are going to be returning hero Joe Harris, all of a sudden everything opens up even more in both areas of that game. So whether pushing it, pushing the tempo in transition and finding a guy running to the rim, obviously they have to respect the spacing and where KD could be trailing Kyrie. And then as they both drive the lanes, you're also going to open up those easy looks from the outside too. So I... I don't want to, again, speak too glowingly like, hey, look at all the benefits of this injury for for Kevin Durant. But I do think the talent and the system that the Nets are going to be running will also lean into him being able to accentuate the areas of his game that he's going to feel the most comfortable with coming off this injury. Right, so it, you know you made a good so a couple of technical things here. Right, the first one was it's important to remember that this is a right Achilles uh, tear, and when you are a right-handed shooter, you tend to plant and step and, and elevate off your left leg. So his his shooting leg is not is not affected. So that's good. That was that was good start number one, and we always kind of had known that from the beginning and say, okay, one of the the differences in all those Achilles tears that I had mentioned before, the Kobe's and the Rudy Gay's and DeMarcus Cousins, et cetera, and so on and so forth, was that they had all torn their shooting leg Achilles, like their right hand, their, their, excuse me, their left Achilles. And that is a, a, a clear difference in what we're dealing with KD here, right? Like they're, the, he, so he doesn't, like he fits into like a sort of side group that isn't part of that group because the the Achilles different. Uh, excuse me, the Achilles is on a different leg. So that's that's you know quote unquote good news piece number one. And the other piece that I really kind of wanted to just dive into real quick. If you're not going to read the Prada article, which look I don't blame you if you don't because it is pretty long. But there are a couple things that Katie does really specifically that he outlines through video about how like so what we can look for and why those things might still be, you know, not be impacted all that much. The first is how Durant catch. So first of all, one, Durant's just tall, right? Like he's, the the reason he's gifted, (laughs) I hate to get simplistic here, but the reason he's a generational talent is because he's essentially the size of a center that plays like a guard, right? And so uh, you, you just, it just, it's, we've really never seen too many examples of guys like this that are just this tall that can play so fluidly. So right there, he's at an unbelievable advantage because He's almost unguardable by the players that have the requisite amount of speed to stay with him are never as big as he is. <laughs> so there's well, and, and, and by the way, the when they talk about his shot, you talk about a shot in the article as well. It's he's very rarely not getting a clean look, right? Yeah. Like, he, you know, so it's usually, you know, as far as it goes and having being able to elevate a little bit or whatever the case may be, no matter who's guarding him primarily, he always has a clean look at the basket. It's never going to be terribly contested or a you know obscured view that he's trying to get on some of these looks. Right. And so 
And one of the reasons for that, A, is he's tall. And two is, as Mike points out, that he has a dip that he, when he gathers the ball, when he gets the ball, his whole body comes down together. And I'm doing it like, uh, like you can see me, but you can't. But if you can just picture what happens when you get the ball, you, there's a natural dip that occurs as you go to begin before you rise up to elevate for the shot. And Durant's is like, is so fluidly perfect in how he catches that by the time you realize what's happening, he's already, it's all become one motion and his, he's already rising up over the defender because um, his, the, his dip and gather is as good as anybody else's in the game. And then he adds on top of it into like the cheat code status of like, oh, oh, I'm already more fluid than you and I'm taller. So good luck. And so it's, (laughs) it's going to be right. So it's like, so what do you, so what's your plan? Because I, I have, I've already had the two things that make me unstoppable. And if you look, if you watch him in the video, you can see that the dip, the dip, and I'm calling the dip is like because you receive the ball a little bit lower, but like you're you're using your arms to come lower as you rise up. His is already so fluid and perfect, and that's gonna actually be the thing that we're gonna want to like really kind of hone in on in these first couple games that we when we watch him play is what's that what's that dip gather and elevate looking like, right? Like we're gonna like we're gonna like, and I'm gonna get to the dribble piece in a second, but just the part where. How quickly is he getting into his shot? Like, we're going to know really quickly if, and, and you made a great point, like all of his shots look sort of open <laughs> when he takes them. <laughs> right. If those don't look as open to start, then we might say, okay, this is something we can really look at here and say, is this looking as comfortable as it once did? Because this, if he's not getting the same elevation off the Achilles in that, in that gather and then uh, um, explosion out into the shot, I think we'll be able to see that with our eyes in a way that sometimes I'm like, yeah, you don't, yeah, who, what, what are you, the doctor, you can look and see what these guys are doing. <laughs> like, like, like I, right. I'm always, I'm always skeptical of people that say that, but I do think this will be something we'll be able to really look at and say, oh, okay, this is looking the same, or this is looking like there's some work to be done. And so tying back into the Bianca Stewart piece as well, because you're mentioning that dip, and essentially when we talk about Kevin Durant, it's a that catch motion where, and he highlights it in the article of keeping it above his hip and then going to that shooting motion. So it's that quick fluidity that doesn't allow, again, as you sometimes see players bring the ball down below their waist, leaving it open possibly for a strip or just for a defender to get that hand into position to prevent you from getting up in a clean shot. But the other thing they mentioned about Brianna Stewart was on her from the perimeter, three-point shooting, utilizing you know the hop technique yep. of getting that ball and kind of doing a little sidestep hop and then getting up into your shot. That's also not something that Kevin Durant needs to do in his game as well. He primarily, while he can work off the dribble for his shot, he can. he's also very adept at catch and shoot, as in almost flat-footed catch and shoot. So that also mitigates the need because you're talking about pushing off of the, the, the right ankle, depending on which way you need to go. So that's also the the ability to avoid needing to put extra pressure or strain onto that particular leg while still being able to get off your traditional shot. I think a lot of this is going to be about probably mental confidence and just feeling comfortable and feeling like he's in rhythm as you would normally expect him to be more than necessarily what the physical limitations are going to, you know, adjust within of his within his game on a shot to shot basis. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think uh, even I think the, uh, the you know, the average fan We'll just put ourselves in the average fan category for this, for the purposes of this uh, discussion. When it comes, is that the average fan is going to be able to see some of this stuff and going to be able to see the fluidity of it and see how comfortable he's moving and really kind of hone in on on where 
you know, his game is comparatively. And the other final thing that Mike kind of breaks down is what is, is Katie's hang dribble, which is the part where it's sort of like this hesitation lefty dribble that it's mm-hmm. unclear if he's going about to take you to the basket or if he's just going to rise up over you, which is again, where it's like when you're a defender, when you, you, it's like one of those good luck territory things, because it's like, well, what are you going to do here? Because you're going if to, you, if you hang, then he's just going to bury a three right in your, in your jaw. Or um, if you kind of get too close, he's going to blow right by you because he kind of pauses with his dribble with his left hand and then either, and then just sort of decides what's going to happen. And, and you kind of have to figure you kind of have to, it's like playing wiffle ball. Like if you ever play wiffle ball with someone who can really okay. pitch, you're kind of like, Hey, I'm not actually going to be able, I'm just going to swing where I think the ball is going to be. And right. we'll just see how it goes. So, I'm not going to do the thing where I try to track the ball <laughs> as it's coming at me on all these crazy sort of aerodynamically impossible angles that it's taking. Um, so at that point, all I'm going to do is just kind of swing. And if I strike out, I'm not going to look too silly because no one can hit it. But if I hit it, I'm going to look great. But I'm just going to guess. And I think that's end up, cool. ends up what defender, that's what defenders are gonna end up doing with the way he kind of attacks off the dribble. Now, if there is, not to take the air out of the balloon here, if there is one area of concern coming off of this that I do look at, because uh, you talk about and they break it down around the idea of, okay, he's still going to have the ability to to drive the lane and get past you. It may just be the difference of how he finishes around the rim. So dunks versus a layup or maybe a little runner, etc. However, I, I do wonder about the impact of, especially early in his return, his ability or willingness to push into the lane and really take a defender on aggressively. And if you'll see, and it may take time over the course of the early stages of this season for him to start to extend that range in and out a little bit and start to knock down a couple of those looks where you can, by the way, Kevin Durant can walk you down into the lane face up and then just all, and also say, I'm going to do a little jab step. Like I may blow by you and it's going to take (laughs) weeks, if not months, if not the entire year for players to understand, Oh, but he doesn't quite have that explosiveness to get past me. I can stay home a little bit more. It doesn't mean that he's not going to, but that's that. That's probably the biggest area that I look at is saying, oh, that could be impacted the most from this injury, just that explosiveness getting through the lane. And by the way, again, it doesn't mean that he's not still going to be able to get a shot off from a lot of other areas on the floor, but it could change that specific area of his game and how he gets at the basket and how he attacks downhill against defenders. I just think in general, we're looking at a situation to kind of put a pin on this. I came away from this article feeling very encouraged about what we could see from Kevin. I was already feeling very encouraged because it's just Kevin Durant, and that's just the Mm -hmm. idea of having Kevin Durant on the Brooklyn Nets is something we've been waiting for, you know, more than a year now to see, and um, and it's not going to be too much longer. But I, I I came away from the article feeling yes, very encouraged about what we can, what you know, the expectation. Encouraged by both one that he that there's a good chance that he can return to most of his old self, but two, as just a fan, I want to be able to see those things that. I want to know what to look for, right? <laughs> like, I want yep. to know yep. when he takes the court what we can really be looking for as fans uh, to tell what is if this thing is kind of going well or not. And that, and and having those few little things to look at is going to be what I'm really going to focus on when things start to ramp up here in a, in a little bit more than a month. All right, we'll be back obviously the rest of the week talking other stuff. We're going to talk Mike D'Antoni. What he's we, we you know we push this one back a little, but what we think he's going to bring to the table from a coaching perspective. We're going to look at a few of the other coaching additions that you know what they can bring. We're going to get into some draft stuff probably late this week into next week as the Nets prepare for the draft. So there's lots still to talk about. Uh, in this off season, as the season kind of ramps back up to to getting going in December, which I'm you know just beyond pumped about. 
As always, rate and review the podcast. That really helps us. Five stars or bust. Uh, hit subscribe to wherever you download or listen to the podcast so it just lands on the app for you every time we record. We're coming at you every day. Buddy, any words of wisdom before we get out of here? Oh, friend, as Kevin Durant comes back from this injury, nothing can be more apt than modern poet William Joseph Armstrong. I walk a lonely road, the only road that I have ever known. Don't know where it goes, but it's home to me, and I walk alone. Uh, We read all the great poets around here. All right, Locked on Nets. Subscribe, rate, and review. Much appreciated. We'll talk to you guys later.